0: Hello and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And
1: I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode we'll be discussing The Haunting of Hill House. The Haunting of Hill House was written by Shirley Jackson and published in 1959.
0: And the Netflix series came out in 2018 and was directed by Mike Flanagan.
1: This is a scary episode.
0: Yes, it's our second (laughs) of 2021's. Spoopy, uh uh scary cover-to-credits extravaganza.
1: <laughs> We're doing up Halloween month with some scary episodes. Hopefully you've already listened to our Frankenstein episode. Um, but this is a lot scarier, Ian.
0: Yes, this is much more <laughs> directly upfront scary. Yeah. Uh both versions, actually, surprisingly to me at least. Mm-hmm. Uh and also, and this was like totally accidental, but both Novels we've talked about this uh, Halloween were written by women.
1: Yeah, women writing horror—they are the the masters of the genre. Women are say. just
0: terrifying. Yeah, I'll say it.
1: <laughs> we all know it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I've probably I've talked about this on the podcast before, but if you're a new listener, you might not know. I'm really bad with scary movies and scary content. Um, I never read any Stephen King before I met Ian. I never watched any scary movies before I met Ian.
0: Which I'm not like huge on either of those. No. But it's funny because like I do think horror is one of the most interesting movie genres going on right now. Like it's some of the most like interesting things to say, some of the most boundary pushing. So even though I don't love horror, I've been making myself watch more (laughs) horror because everyone's like, oh my God, you have to watch Hereditary. And I'm like ah, okay, and then I'm like, yep, that was really good and really terrifying.
1: (laughs) And I mean, I do appreciate good movies and shows, even if they have horror elements in them, and I'm usually okay with stuff, but, like, it does really bother me. I don't know what it is about it. Like, I was not sleeping well when we were watching this show.
0: We were also, like, Binging it.
1: Yeah, we had to binge it just because we've been so busy lately that we had to watch it kind of all at once. And it was just weighing really heavily on my mind. I couldn't sleep. I was like seeing... Not actually seeing things, but, like, in my mind, when I wake up at night, I'm like, oh, what horrible thing from the show can <laughs> I picture in the dark corner?
0: It also probably doesn't help that we just moved into a new house ourselves, like, four yeah. months ago. Yeah. Not that we've seen anything, but it's, like, no. not what you want to be thinking about.
1: No, definitely not.
0: Um, it's also cool because this is a uh, show that was directed written and also edited somehow by Mike Flanagan, Mm -hmm. uh, who we have talked about before when we did an episode on Dr. Sleep.
1: Yeah,
0: he is. I didn't realize it until looking it up because I was like, this must have been a while ago, because since then I knew he had done Dr. Sleep. I knew he did a follow up show, Haunting of Bly Manor. I know he had done Midnight Mass this year, which was really good. But he has been doing a project every year. Wow. Um for like 5 years straight. Oh my god. And like m- most of them have been TV shows. Wow. Uh which he writes and directs and edits himself. <laughs> so like, I don't know how this man does it. No. But I do think he's one of the most interesting storytellers and directors like, working right now, like, as soon as Midnight Mass came out, and I knew it was him, I'm like, I will watch that. Yeah. And it was great. So (laughs) that's a big shout out for that show as well.
1: Yeah, it's really cool to be talking about uh, this episode right now, because... Midnight Mass just recently came out, so it's kind of good timing. It's on people's minds and everything. I also want to mention that we're going to be doing a bonus episode because uh, The Haunting of Hill House has had some previous adaptations, so we're going to talk about the movie version that came out in the 60s or 70s, I forget when.
0: Yeah, which is just The The Haunting, haunting. Mm -hmm. which is apparently... Not very good. <laughs> no,
1: actually, I read that that one's good. And then there's like a 90s oh. version that's bad.
0: Oh, it's the 90s one that's yeah. bad. So okay. maybe we'll
1: watch one, we'll watch both. I don't know. We're going to do an okay. episode okay. on um some of these, what, another one of these adaptations. So uh, any of our patrons who you know contribute to our Patreon have access to all that bonus content. And then I also want to say that... Um, One of our listeners requested this episode, Rebecca, which I forgot about.
0: Oh, yes. And then I was
1: reminded of. um, And so thank you to Rebecca for requesting this episode. I think some other folks also requested that we do this episode. Yeah.
0: And we've been getting a lot of good engagement and feedback on social media about this episode coming out. So I'm excited to see what people have to say.
1: All right. Let's let's start talking about this.
0: So it's worth mentioning just up front how very, very different the book is from the show. Or I should say the show is from the book. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are characters <laughs> that are in both, but mostly just in name. Yeah. They're like very different. Like the the setup for the story is different. It's really just like elements. The show took like elements of the book. And, you know, maybe some dialogue or lines, some like characters, some moments and, you know, incorporated those into the story. But really, the foundation of the show of the characters and the premise and the setup is like all its own.
1: Yeah, I feel like maybe Mike Flanagan read this book and was like, oh, I think I could set another story here Mm -hmm. and then kind of draw from the original story. It's like. He wanted it to still be Hill House. Yeah. And it'd be the same house in both versions. Yeah. But have different characters interacting with the house.
0: And I think it's tough, too, because I think Hill House was really, really wild when it first came out and kind of like created or not created, but kind of became like the haunting or the like, uh, haunted Haunted house house story. Yeah. But like, when you read the book, like, even though it's creepy, a lot of these elements we've seen 500 times in different stories since then. Yeah. And so I do think it would be really hard to do a pure adaptation today that just doesn't feel like redundant of like Mm -hmm. all other haunted house stories. Yeah. And Mike Flanagan is obviously a very big Stephen King fan definitely he's done multiple Stephen King adaptations including Dr. Sleep and uh, Gerald's Game Mm -hmm. and I think his inspirations on the show are very obvious specifically the Shining and it yeah and the kind of combination of those two premises Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah very very different the show is from the book
1: yeah let's start talking about the book though and kind of set up everything that's going on there We have a bunch of characters meeting at Hill House and let's start talking about uh, Dr. Montague because he's sort of the reason that this group is gathering at this famously haunted house.
0: Yeah, he is a paranormal uh, researcher. Mm -hmm. He's kind of trying to approach things from a scientific standpoint. Yeah, yeah in terms of documentation and research. And he's kind of like done this at at various other locations. Mm -hmm. Um, But he's kind of trying to set up these like almost experiments in a way and trying to legitimize this kind of field of research.
1: Yeah, he heard about Hill House and that there had been disturbing things that happened there. And so his idea is, I know, what if I go and stay there? in the house with like some other people and we write down what happens to us.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it sounds very scientific. <laughs> I
1: know it's very, um, I mean, you can't be scientific about the paranormal or the supernatural. Cause it is like, they're just writing down what they see and it's a matter of perspective, but he yeah. thinks it's a good idea. And he sends out a bunch of letters to people who maybe have had brushes with the supernatural,
0: which is an interesting kind of concept to touch on early on is that like maybe people are more connected to the supernatural, like not only, yeah, not only the location, but people in general.
1: Yeah. And how's he going to be scientific if these people are also kind of supernatural?
0: Yeah. And so he kind of like early on rules out people who he like doesn't believe actually had these encounters with supernatural beings, or he thinks they might just be like attention grabbing or Mm -hmm. might not work well together. And he narrows the list down and he ends up recruiting a few people uh, but only two arrive. The first one is essentially the main character of the story, Eleanor.
1: Yeah. Eleanor Vance is 32 years old. And the reason he contacted her is because when she was a young child and her father died, there was this circumstance where for three days, it rained stones on the house which that is, she lived in.
0: Yeah, which is so weird. Yeah. I really like that though. And
1: it's really creepy because it's mentioned and like, He brings it up again to her later, and Eleanor kind of doesn't even remember it.
0: No, and, like, she thought it was, like, the neighborhood kids. Yeah. Which is, like, what the mom claimed it was, but, like, according to the actual events, as they were told, like, Mm -hmm. there's no way that could just be, like, pranks. Yeah. So... Yeah, this is the event that gets Doctor Montague to, you know, invite her out, mm-hmm. and she seems like a lonely person. Yeah, she has a sister, but she took care of their mother uh, when she was dying mm-hmm.
1: for eleven years apparently. And you know, I know this is written in like 1959, which isn't that long ago, but like she's in her 30s, she's unmarried, she's basically considered a spinster at this point. Yeah. And like her sisters is, her sister is married, has a daughter, seems to have like a life. And Eleanor doesn't really have one because she was kind of stuck in this role, caretaking for her aging mother, who eventually died. And she died somewhat recently. And now Eleanor doesn't really know what to do with her life. Yeah. And doesn't really know who she is either. And this letter she gets from Doctor Montague seems like a good opportunity to take this journey and to kind of do something different.
0: Yeah. I like an early interaction she has with her sister and brother-in-law where she wants to take the car that belonged to their mom. Uh, She wants to drive it out to Hill House. And the sister is like, no, I don't think you should. Like, you could damage it, Mm -hmm. even though Eleanor is like, well, it's half mine. Yeah. And eventually Eleanor just takes the car. Yeah. And I like this because it seems very unlike her character. And I think we're kind of seeing this kind of growth in her already kind of like pushing the boundaries of like who she thinks she is and kind of like being a little more daring and adventurous.
1: Yeah. And when when she's driving to Hill House, she kind of imagines all these different lives for herself because she hasn't really had one. Yeah. So she's like picturing herself in these houses. She drives by. She sees this little girl who talks about drinking out of a cup of stars.
0: <laughs> yes. And
1: this really like strikes her fancy. And she's really like, Yes, I want to only drink out of a cup of stars. Like this is going to make me unique and individual.
0: Yeah. And this is one of those little details that like the show uh, adopts in a different scene, this cup of stars. Yeah. Uh, as well as some of this like narration about like her imagining her different lives. The mother of the show talks about it in like the last episode. Yeah. So like little bits of the this this story and dialogue do get adopted into the show, which is interesting.
1: Yeah. Let's talk about Theo.
0: Theo. Uh, Theo uh, is thought to have some kind of psychic ability. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she gets recruited to go out to Hill House. She has a fight before she leaves with her roommate.
1: Yeah, it's her best gal pal. Yeah. Roommate, friend. They have a fight and uh, Theo smashes like the figurine that her roommate made for her. And then (laughs) her roommate tears out, tears apart a book that... Theo gave her and like rips the inscription to shreds.
0: It's very intense. Yeah. And in the show, there is a character. One of the uh, kids is named Theo and she she is a lesbian. Mm -hmm. And so at first when I was reading this, I'm like, Theo feels definitely gay in the story. But then I'm like, I don't know, maybe just because I know in the show she is. I'm reading into it. Yeah. But you also felt that way, too. (laughs) Oh, yeah.
1: I hadn't even watched that episode of the show yet. And I was reading about Theo and her roommate. And I was like, (laughs) okay. And actually, as the story goes on, we have more and more evidence that Theo is a lesbian. She talks about, um, with Eleanor, about her life, her apartment, and talks about, like, she always uses the term we. Mm. Like, we decorated all this furniture. We kind of like making new things. and decorating and kind of getting our apartment how we want to and Eleanor's like oh are you married and she's like no I'm not married
0: (laughs) 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 yeah yeah wink yeah (laughs) yeah um Theo though is like very she likes you know nice things nice clothes Mm -hmm. she's kind of like she likes attention she likes attention she's very I don't say bossy, but kind of commanding of a room and of a scene and stuff. And like her character is very interesting and fun to read about.
1: Yes. And then we have Luke, who is the nephew of the woman who owns this house at this time. And he is described as a liar and a thief. Yeah, which Which was, I don't get. No, I don't either. Because he, he doesn't do that. <laughs> he doesn't. He's
0: like none of those things once you actually meet him. Yeah. I thought that was very odd.
1: And he just seems like a kind of nice person.
0: Yeah, he's kind of got like a dry sense of humor. He's yeah. kind of very... He's able to banter and be very like witty and stuff.
1: He seems like he could be like a flirt slash he could like maybe want to like seduce one of them, but it's yeah. not, it's not like, um, malicious or no. a, like creepy. He's just sort of like down, I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. He's not a, he's not a scoundrel. I don't, yeah. I don't know. I kind of wanted to go back and read that part. Cause like that was in my head. Yeah. But then as you just continue to read about him, you're like, okay, wait, was that What?
1: (laughs) He also feels kind of weird about the fact that he's going to inherit Hill House eventually. And he's like, oh, this is weird.
0: Then um, there are the groundskeepers. Well, there's the groundskeeper, Mr. Dudley. Mm -hmm. And then Mrs. Dudley, who actually works in the house. You meet Mr. Dudley once. Yeah. uh, And then it's all Mrs. Dudley. Yeah. Who is just like weird and cold and robotic
1: yeah she is she's just like has a preset like dialogue options (laughs) literally like everybody keeps trying to ask her stuff um like an
0: npc in a video game yeah
1: because she refuses to stay at the house longer than she has to so like she serves dinner And breakfast and lunch at a certain time and then just gets the fuck out. And so they're like, oh, wait, can we have more coffee? Or like, oh, wait, can we like wait at breakfast? And she's like, I clear off at 10. The dishes (laughs) need to be in the sideboard. And then I'm gone and no one will hear you in the night. Okay, bye. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But like everyone, she kind of becomes like a running joke between everyone staying there. Just how like weird and creepy she is.
1: Once they're all together, Dr. Montague kind of tells them the history of the house, which is like... This kind of eccentric, eccentric, rich old man built it. And he had these two daughters and he had three wives that like all died. Mm hmm. And then the one girl-
0: didn't even make it into the house. Her <laughs> carriage flipped over oh, yeah. in the driveway before she, she even was stepped like, no, in. <laughs> Nope.
1: no, nope, no, nope, no, nope, no. Nope. Uh, the other woman like fell somewhere in the house yeah. and like died. And you're like, OK, fell. And then like the two girls lived there alone for a long time. And then when they were older, there was like kind of a legal fight between them over who got the house. And the oldest sister lived in the house with a female companion. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes. more, yes. more queer, I forgot about that.
1: More queer stuff. And then left the house to, to her companion. Mm-hmm. And the younger sister, you know, protested this. There was a lawsuit. Um, And then the companion won the lawsuit, but she ended up killing herself in the house. Yeah. And then the property passed to the Sanderson family who were like cousins of the companion, which is who the people who own it now. And like no one's been able to live in there since the companion killed herself.
0: Yeah. People have stayed at the house for very short periods of time and no one stays for like the amount of time they're supposed to. And when asked about it, like no one's upfront about why they're leaving early.
1: Yeah. But
0: like Dr. Montague's, like it's very sus. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, there's so many interesting qualities about the house, though. Yeah. Like its architecture and like how it's like decorated.
1: Mm-hmm. I think what's interesting is that the bottom floor are like concentric circles.
0: Mm. Like there's
1: rooms on the outside of the house. Yeah. And then there are rooms inside that have no windows to the the outside. So it's really strange and kind of makes you feel like you're trapped inside Uh them. Um, And then they'll be like, they can't figure out why everything feels weird until they realize that everything is like slightly askew.
0: Yeah, the walls are set at like slightly off angles. The
1: floors. Yeah,
0: which Dr. Montague is like, isn't noticeable when you're in a room. But obviously each room being slightly off means like the whole house is like really pretty radically off. Yeah. Uh, And so it gives you this like weird sensation. And he wonders if like part of the odd feeling people have in the house is from that. Like they can't pinpoint what's wrong, but it's like these weird angles. It's like a
1: slight vertigo. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so they're all there and they're all just going to like explore the house, hang out and see kind of what happens and then write it all down. Which is, again, we said a really strange strategy, but okay.
0: (laughs) Not the most scientific, but you know, just uh, roll the dice, see just what happens, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Science. Science. Let's get into the show, though. Yeah. So the show is built around this past and present uh, setup where in the past it is a family. uh, two parents and their five children. Yeah. The the youngest two are twins, and they are moving into Hill House because the parents are going to flip it. They're mm-hmm. going to renovate it, fix it up, restore the plumbing, you know, restore different parts of it, and then sell it for oodles of cash.
1: Yeah, and they say that they've done this before, and this is kind of like their job. Like, the mom is, uh, like, an architect mm-hmm. and um, designer, and the dad does most of the construction work.
0: Yeah, he's just kind of an all-around handyman. Mm -hmm. I do feel like you don't see them doing a ton of actual work to the house. Yeah. Like, you do see some later on when the dad's trying to, like, get the mold out. Mm -hmm. But before that... Part of me almost felt like the first time I watched it, I'm like, is there going to be a reveal that like they're not actually doing anything? Like it's going to be like The Shining, how Jack isn't actually writing writing a novel, like (laughs) the dad isn't actually fixing anything in the house. But like, yeah, no, I think they were.
1: (laughs) Another thing that was really confusing for me at the beginning is the number of children.
0: Yeah, they do not do a good job of establishing that.
1: Because all the flashback scenes we see at first only involve four children. Mm hmm. And so then when we go back to the adult world and we see them all interacting, and when we see Theo, I'm like, who is
0: this? Yeah. (laughs) Because, like, in the very first episode, um, Nell wakes up from a bad dream and the dad comes to see her. Yeah. And you see that she has her twin in the same room, Luke. Luke. Uh, The older brother, Steve, comes to like check on her. And -hmm. then when the dad is leaving, he looks in on Shirley to make sure she's and sees her talking in her sleep. But you never. So that seems like a very obvious way to establish establish all the children. And you only see four of them.
1: I don't understand why they did this. And then even when we see them kind of like leaving on like this final night that we don't really know what happened, you can't count how many kids are in the car because they're all like jumbled together. Yeah. So again, you can't tell that it's five and not four kids in there.
0: Yeah. It seems like a real oversight to just like not show, just not have the dad look in. I know. On Theo too. And just yeah. be like, there's five children. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but so, you know, there, there's this past of them growing up in this house while the parents are fixing it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We know spooky things happen. And specifically, we know that when you, you you kind of alluded to it, there's a last night, quote unquote, when they were in the house, mm-hmm. where something really terrifying happens.
1: Yeah, we see the dad kind of taking Steven out of the house. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the kids are already in the car. And he's like frantically driving them away. And they yeah. see shit in like the the windows too, and then we also find out that their mom died that night. Yes. That she killed herself? Question mark?
0: Yeah, and this is kind of a mystery that is slowly expanded upon as mm-hmm. and the whole setup is so interesting because like um you know, so we get we get Steve and we meet him in the future, right? Yeah. And we get these flashbacks to him in the past, but Steve is a paranormal kind of investigator and writer. Yeah. And he became famous for writing a book about what happened to them as children in Hill House.
1: Yeah. Called The Haunting of Hill Called House. Called The Haunting of very Hill House. Meta. <laughs> yeah. And
0: like, we know the opening lines are the same from his book as mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the real novel, even though the plots are like totally different. Yeah. But this book was very successful for him. However, his siblings... Did not
1: feel the same way
0: or were not happy about it.
1: Yeah, I really I think this is a really great aspect to his character. And I really don't like Steven. No. Even finishing the whole show and seeing like how he develops. I still fucking hate him.
0: <laughs> I would like Steven. Generally, if not for like that last reveal, the vasectomy thing, because like, you know, him yeah. r- him writing this book is Kind of him, you know, making money off family trauma. Yeah. But, like, you can tell he feels bad about it. And he's making kind of these, like, halfway steps to, like, well, here's the manuscript. Like, tell Mm -hmm. me what you think.
1: And then I'll give you a share of the profits. Yeah, like,
0: he's clearly... He's he's trying to, like, clear his conscience, I think. Yeah. So it's still shitty, Mm -hmm. but he's, like, kind of trying... It it feels very human.
1: It does. Like, even
0: though what he's doing is shitty, like, I think he feels, like, kind of human in that regard. Mm -hmm. And I, I like Steven, too, because he does seem to want to be there for his siblings he has done a lot for them yeah but also you can see how he is losing patience with a lot of them Mm and isn't the and in general isn't the most patient person with them
1: yeah and i think this central aspect to his character is really important which is the fact that he doesn't believe that Fucked up ghost shit happened in Hill House. No. And in fact, all of his ghost books, he doesn't really believe in paranormal activity at all. No. Which is like super hypocritical and maybe he feels this to his core. And I think his siblings feel this too because he wrote this book right, but he doesn't really believe what he's writing. Yeah. And to them, it's literally him taking experiences that were deeply traumatizing to them, especially Nell and Luke. And turning it into like this story that he doesn't even believe in. And he's making money off of it.
0: I do think it's interesting, though, because in that first episode, he is talking to a woman, interviewing her, potentially to include her in another book. Yeah. uh, Where she has this like terrifying story that she tells about, like seeing her dead husband at night. Yeah. And you do kind of wonder, is Steve actually trying to prove the existence of ghosts maybe because i do think like to a degree he kind of like wants to maybe believe um you know because he takes all this like equipment to Mm -hmm. like do thermal imaging (laughs) and like all this other shit that like whatever but like i do think part of him maybe does kind of want to prove it to himself yeah uh, but he just never has in any other instance than hill house
1: yeah and it's just sad though because you know, you see his siblings struggling, especially Nell and Luke, and he's kind of harsh on them, especially Nell. And it's really sad because, like... He's not listening to them and he's not really believing what they're saying. And then he turns around and uses that material for profit, which is just so shitty. And like, it's interesting, though, how deeply he regards like the mental illness that may run in their family as a problem, because this is what leads him to get a vasectomy.
0: Yeah. Um, This isn't kind of revealed until like later. We know he and his wife have separated Mm -hmm. and... Like we're not quite sure why until later we find out they were trying to have a kid.
1: Yeah, and
0: then Steve reveals to his dad that he had a vasectomy after college <laughs> and never told and his just wife. Never to- who his wife is like is like concerned because her she's trying she's at least trying to have a baby and conceive. It's not working. She doesn't know why. They're all the way to the point of being at a um,
1: fertility specialist. Yes,
0: yeah, and. Steve finally has to just come clean like he's at the end of the road and like this is the such a shitty thing to do like he was emotionally abusing his wife oh yeah for years,
1: years. Mm-hmm.
0: um by not telling her that like hey we couldn't have a kid i took that currently. decision
1: out of your hands
0: yeah and never told you and was never upfront about it mm-hmm. and like this whole stressful situation has been like totally my fault
1: yeah exactly yeah that's the that's the nail in the coffin for steven <laughs> yeah i think
0: i think i could have i think i could have liked steven because everyone's shitty to a degree in oh this yeah story yeah and i think i would have liked steven if not for the vasectomy thing i even think like he could have done something with they that plot line they could have
1: just had him say that like i don't want to have kids yeah and that be the fight between them mhm like maybe he's putting it off and putting it yeah. off and he's like i want my book career to take off yes. i want us to get more settled putting it off putting it off and finally she's like what's going on and he's like i can't i can't have a kid yes. and that breaks them apart yeah i totally
0: agree Could yeah. it just been like something more like that instead of him just fucking <laughs> lying about his vasectomy
1: yeah we closed steven's episode though with him seeing nell in his apartment And he gets a phone call from his dad that Nell is dead. And he realizes that it's a ghost because then it starts to like. "Ah!"
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, this part, like something about it was so just like your stomach dropped when he turns back to her and she's kind of like screaming. Yeah. But it's like really effective. It's such a good way to end that first episode. Definitely. And also like you see him intersecting with the other characters in the story and like You know, you maybe don't think much about it, but then as you get the other characters' perspectives, you get these missing pieces filled in. It
1: is really cool how the story fits together.
0: Yeah, how different characters intersect and you see the different viewpoints of it. Mm -hmm. I really like it.
1: Let's talk about Shirley next, whose name is not Cheryl. It's Shirley. (laughs) Literally. But the thing is, all the siblings call her Cheryl.
0: Yes. Which
1: is short for Shirley. But it sounds like they're saying Cheryl.
0: Yep. There is a moment in my notes where I went from writing Cheryl to writing Cheryl or Shirley.
1: And I'm like, why would you do this? (laughs) Why would anyone do this?
0: Establish there's five children at the beginning and don't name her Shirley or call her Shirley and not Cheryl.
1: Yeah, it's very simple. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, But yes, Shirley is a character who like I wouldn't have thought was super interesting. Like when you first meet her, Mm -hmm. but is actually like. Super, super interesting.
1: Yeah, I really like uh, Shirley's character. She runs a funeral home with her husband. And we get kind of like a flashback to her mother's funeral and how awful it was for her. And that when she sees her mother in the casket, the funeral director kind of goes up with her. She's like, oh, you made her look. You fixed her. You know what I mean? And this idea that Shirley really wants to help people who have yeah. suffered a loss and it goes beyond just making someone look nice on their funeral day. Like she's giving people discounts. <laughs> yeah, um, Cause her husband yeah. is like, we're, we need to make back this money. Like you're, you're giving people discounts, but you can tell that like she knows that that's the worst time of your life and yeah. she wants to help people.
0: Yeah, I, I really love that about her, that, like, clearly this trauma she experienced with her mother's death in the past, like, shaped... Yeah. Like, especially her meeting that funeral director mm-hmm. and kind of understanding the importance of, like, the funeral and saying goodbye and that kind of thing. The
1: ceremony of it.
0: Yeah, how important it was to her and how that shaped, like, her future and her career. mm mm-hmm. um, Shirley is very strong-willed yeah. slash kind of overbearing yeah. to a degree or like she you know she has this kind of superiority about yes. her mm-hmm. um and like you can kind of tell that like even though Stephen is the oldest that she kind of tries to like take the most control in the family.
1: Yeah. You know, I saw some of myself in Shirley's character yeah. as the oldest child. Shirley is not the oldest, but, and she calls Steven out for this. She's like, you should be the one taking <laughs> yeah. care of everyone. But she was, I am.
0: Yeah. She was like, you know, as the oldest child it's my responsibility. <laughs> oh wait, you're the oldest <laughs> child.
1: <laughs> and I mean, I think it's so realistic because it's often the oldest daughter who ends up taking care of a family. Yeah. I've seen this pattern repeated in my own family and my cousins and like, you know, some friends that I know who are oldest daughters. Um, But whether that's done intentionally or unintentionally, like there is this sense of responsibility that sometimes oldest daughters have, Um, whether they're the actual oldest in their family or not. But she really feels responsible for her siblings and does try to take care of them. Stephen does too. But you can tell that Shirley is really like doing a lot more?
0: Yeah. And kind of doing the stuff that, like, maybe no one else would want to. I, I really like the scene. It's a flashback to um Nell's wedding. Yeah. Shirley confronts Luke outside mm-hmm. um because he shows up high. Yeah. And she's like, you have to go. Yeah. Like, you cannot be here. Mm-hmm. And she, like, pays for his cab. And she's, like, honestly really mean about it. She's, yeah. like, chewed up the rest.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, in regards to the bunny. But, like, kind of...
1: Protecting Nell.
0: Yeah, trying to protect her siblings, even if well, you know, certain siblings and like maybe not always handling it in the best way, but yeah. like really taking on that um that role of protector and, you know, to the to the extent that when Nell dies, mm-hmm. Shirley decides that she is going to prepare her body for the funeral.
1: Yeah, which is definitely not what she shouldn't be doing <laughs> like no. this is not good for her psyche at all no yeah
0: um, but i mean it's a really There's another great scene with Shirley where she's on the phone with Mm Steven who is like complaining about having to get Luke and the dad out to the funeral. And she's like, do you know what I'm doing right now, Steven? I am elbow deep in our sister's organs preparing her for the funeral. You have to get two men, two Two grown grown men men on an an airplane. airplane. Fucking do it. I love it. She's so great.
1: I love it so much. We do get a scene kind of with her in the past. Where she finds these abandoned kittens who are very sick, and she tries to take care of them.
0: Yeah, and they all die. They
1: all end up dying, but I think this really does speak to Shirley's tendency to want to protect and mother, yeah, her siblings and take care of everyone, and and just her her fear of it all falling apart, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah, but um, yeah, Shirley's just um a, a super great character. I like her. She's a lot. really funny. Let's talk about Theo.
1: Yes, Theo, who lives in Shirley's, like, garage?
0: Guest house. Guest house. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Shirley loves to go to the club, dance. I'm sorry. (laughs) Damn it.
1: (laughs) I don't think Shirley likes to go to the club. I don't think that's her scene.
0: Uh, Theo loves to go to the club, dance the night away, hit on some... Uh, sexy ladies and take them back to her house. Yeah, her. her I'm sorry, her guest house.
1: <laughs> <laughs> her guest house. Yeah, she's very emotionally closed off, which we see with her string of one night stands. Yeah. She and Shirley kind of talk about it, um, but then we find out more about her, and she's wearing gloves all the time. And this is something I didn't really notice that much until her episode. Yeah, where it's revealed through her adult self and from flashbacks in the past that she has a really strong psychic ability through touch. And she's able to touch things and kind of get a sense of things that have happened there. She touches people and can feel their emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, And she uses this in her work.
0: Yeah, so she is a – which, by the way, first of all, her glove collection is on point. It's so good. (laughs) She's got, like, great, like, elbow-length gloves, like, for, you know, dinner and nights out. She's got, like, these kind of short motorcycle gloves. Riding gloves. Great glove collection. Mm -hmm. Uh, But she is a child psychologist, and we see her specifically talking to one little girl, Mm -hmm. and she actually uses – her sense of touch, she'll, like, shake hands with the kids. Yeah. And immediately get a read on maybe what's going on with them. Mm Mm-hmm. And – but she meets this one little girl in, in her episode that is kind of emotionally closed off. Like her. And she can't figure out quite what's wrong with her.
1: Yeah. And the girl is being haunted by this monster she calls Mr. Smiley, which is the concept of this monster is too scary. I was like, (laughs) is there going to be a spinoff with Mr. Smiley? (laughs) It sounds like it, doesn't it? Like the
0: Annabelle stories from The Conjuring. Yeah, Mr. Smiley.
1: Um, But she kind of does her research and ends up going to this little girl's house to try to figure out what's going on. The foster parents let her into the house and let her go into the basement where the little girl says Mr. Smiley lives. And through her ability to touch and understand and perceive, Theo figures out that the little girl is being sexually abused in the basement. And like her view from this couch where she's being abused, like the whirls in the wood Yes. Is like the face of Mr. Smiley. Again, this is too much detail for this side <laughs> plot.
0: <laughs> it is very, yeah, it's very disturbing. I just want to say, though, because like eventually Shirley like shakes hands with the foster Theo. dad. God damn it. I, I don't know why I'm I'm, I'm messing that up. <laughs> Theo, I'm sorry, shakes hands with the foster dad and knows for certain it's him. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say, like, I want a whole spinoff series of Theo investigating, solving crimes, crimes, (laughs) saving children. Yeah. Uh, They all don't have to be like sexual abuse cases. Like that might be a little intense, but like, I just want like Theo to be just like
1: doing her thing. Detective
0: Theo and just her hands touching everything.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. (laughs) I think this would be a great spinoff.
0: Yes. Um, But in the past, Theo has a a whole uh, side plot with like discovering this like hidden basement mm-hmm. because she accidentally <laughs> sends Luke down in a dumb later.
1: Oh my god, the scene with this creature coming at Luke. This was the scariest for me. I
0: was gonna ask, is was this the most terrifying? Mm,
1: it's between this and uh, the tall man.
0: The tall, really? Yeah. I mean, the ta- there's nothing scarier than a very tall man.
1: <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I completely agree. <laughs> it's unsettling. It is. Stop being tall. Why are they so tall? <laughs> um,
0: yeah, the, the Luke in the dumbwaiter scene is very terrifying. But Theo uses her powers to discover this like hidden basement part that Mm -hmm. was used as a um
1: bootlegging operation
0: yeah yeah during um
1: the prohibition
0: prohibition i just my brain (laughs) i don't even know what's happening right now during prohibition you're still
1: thinking about mr smiley
0: (laughs) and trying not to say Shirley instead of theo i'm still
1: i'm trying not to say cheryl still (laughs) like it's still in my mind
0: yeah yeah um But she discovers this whole bootlegging operation that used to be in the basement. And we get a scene where the mom uh, in the past gives her her first pair of gloves.
1: Yeah. She kind of talks to her and is like, you can sense things. And I sometimes see things. Mm -hmm. And kind of saying that like her grandmother, their grandmother might have been psychic or had psychic abilities. The mom has it. And then she kind of points out that almost everyone in the family, probably besides Stephen, um, and <laughs> yeah. kind of Shirley, too, uh, have, like, gifts and can sense things.
0: Yeah, they're, like, sensitive. Which, mm-hmm. once again, this is very The Shining. Very The Shining. The shining, yeah. Or it's just, you know, it's The Shining. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, this idea of, like, a house being haunted, but also the presence of a family that's very in tune mm-hmm. with the supernatural, like, awakening Activating. it. Activating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's very obvious, kind of, in that reference, but not in a bad way.
1: Let's talk about Luke now. And we know from previous episodes that Luke is an addict mm-hmm. and has been for a long time. Right now, he's in rehab, and he actually just got his 90-day chip for being sober, which is a really big accomplishment for him because he hasn't been able to stay sober that long in a long time. And like, it's implied that the trauma from Mm -hmm. this time in Hill House is the reason that he's an addict.
0: Yeah, I I really like this episode. I think it gives a good voice to what addicts go through. Mm -hmm. And I think it also gives a voice to being a family member of an addict and how tough that can be. Yeah. And how it's not like... It's not unfair to the addict, but it is like, hey, this is really tough. And like, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a struggle. You know, Steven kind of gets a moment of saying like mm-hmm. you can love someone and they can still fuck you over. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I do like the balance it accomplishes with that.
1: Yeah. Luke has this companion friend in rehab, Joey, who's been sober much longer than he has. She's been sober nine months. And it seems like she's really helped him through this stint in rehab But he wakes up one morning and she's gone.
0: She's taken off. And this is obviously something that like happens and he's like really upset about it. Mm -hmm. And he decides to try to like go out and find her and try to like bring her back.
1: Mm -hmm. He does end up finding her on the streets and she has relapsed. And he's like, listen, you know, I'm going to get you sober again. Like I'm going to help you like you help me. And he's looking for money or for a place for them to get clean. The rehab place won't take them back. He doesn't really know where to go. Yeah. He ends up going to Steven's house where Steven's wife, Lee, tells him, like, well, we're separated right now. And th- so then Luke goes to Steven's apartment.
0: And this is so interesting because, you know, Luke's been dealing with he's been feeling, like, cold and, like, crampy yeah. and, like, sweating and not feeling well even though he hasn't used yeah and he's stealing shit from steven to sell for money Mm -hmm. and that's when steven catches him and i love it because we saw this in the first episode yeah and it just seems like oh god his addict brother is like on a bender again and Mm -hmm. stealing from him and then when you get luke's perspective you're like it's not like that at all yeah
1: he's trying to help joey he's trying to help his friend And Steven gives him money and Luke is going to check them into a hotel so he can get Joey sober. But as soon as Joey knows that he has the money, she takes it and takes off.
0: It's so sad. Yeah. And, you know, it's just devastating, I think, to Luke. Luke, I really love, so in the past for Luke's episode, Mm -hmm. we know that he has this, like, little imaginary friend, this girl named Abigail. Who he
1: meets in the woods. Yeah,
0: but... A big part of his episode is the the tall man. Yes. The man with the bowler cap. Yeah. And he keeps reappearing to Luke in the present mm-hmm. as this, like, figure that's, like, not facing him and following him.
1: Yeah. But, and, like, backwards.
0: But backwards. I and don't like it. It's super <laughs> creepy, but it's, like, so effective as, like, this sense, like, obviously it's, like, his addiction. Yeah. Like, following him. Mm-hmm. This trauma and this addiction that are, like, kind of tied together and I also find it super fascinating because the show also hints that, like, Luke has OCD.
1: Yeah. He's, or OCD tendencies, at least. Yeah,
0: because he's constantly counting to seven. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, as a kid, he was doing two. And he tells Nell, like, it helps if you touch the things and count out loud. Yeah. Which is just, like, you know, very OCD. But it's, like, never acknowledged or, like, said to be he was diagnosed or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's, like you know on the streets and eventually steven finds him Mm -hmm. and he finds out that nell had died a day ago
1: yeah and in this episode it's been established that like because they're twins they can feel each other's pain often and you're like oh shit like he's been feeling this way because nell is a corpse now
0: yeah he's cold and stiff yeah yeah it's so, God, this episode is just really good. I really like Luke as a character. Yeah. I mean, I like everyone is a character, honestly. Mm-hmm. But I really liked Luke's episode a lot.
1: Yeah, I think we got a lot of clarity From his perspective, because we see all his other siblings and how they treat him and how they view him. Yeah. But then to see his own perspective, see his own struggles, see what he went through as a kid. You're like, it really helps you understand him more.
0: Yeah. And how tough it is probably to be an addict and trying to get clean, because like, if you've fucked up in the past, you probably don't feel like your siblings have any faith in you. Yeah. And that makes it like all the more difficult to like get clean if Mm -hmm. you don't have that support. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about now.
1: I hated this episode. This was the worst episode. I'm just going to say it.
0: Yeah. It's really heavy. Yeah. And I think it is, I don't want to say fixed in the ending, but like, you know, this episode is so dark, obviously, uh ending in her suicide yeah and, and it, it, it's just very twisted like i like to think like by the end you feel like a little bit better about it it's a little bit more hopeful yeah but this episode the way it goes and the way it ends is just so heavy
1: yeah it's basically like look at this poor child who was fucked over from just the beginning and nobody helped her yeah
0: yeah <laughs> Basically, she is being haunted by the bent neck lady. Yeah. BNL for short, (laughs) as I was writing in my notes constantly. And
1: nobody believes her. And nobody acknowledges that she's really being traumatized as a child. And then like she gets older and realizes that she has sleep paralysis, which is really funny because we recently had a conversation with someone (laughs) about sleep paralysis. And they only had like a temporary sleep paralysis due to some... um, drugs they were yes, taking medication. medication but like people struggle with this and it's really terrifying and um people can hallucinate while they're they have the sleep paralysis while they can't move they're like awake they can't move and then weird
0: shit is happening in the room with them yeah that's about like the worst situation i could ever imagine <laughs> i think so <laughs> uh but she goes to have a sleep study done where she meets a very charming arthur handsome arthur we get a cute montage of their life together. Yeah. Them getting engaged and getting married. It's
1: really sweet because he helps her through her sleep paralysis episodes. Like when she's panicking, he wakes up and he's there and he's like holding her hand. Yeah. He's kind of like breathing with her through it. And it's really comforting to her, which, you know, it all comes crashing down one night when she's having a sleep paralysis episode. And Arthur gets up to turn on the light and collapses and the bent neck Bent neck lady, BNL.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and 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 she's standing in the room, and Arthur is is, is just dead. Yeah, like immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this is you know quite understandably the beginning of a downward spiral for Nell.
1: Yeah, Arthur died of an aneurysm, but Nell is convinced that it was the bent neck lady.
0: Yeah, and just Hill House and. It's so sad because she seeks counseling and therapy, Yeah, but her therapist sucks. Oh, he really sucks. And I I really like a depiction of, like, an ineffective therapist. Yeah. I mean, I think therapy is, like, so great and helpful for anyone who, you know, seeks it out. However, like anything else, if you get a bad one... Yeah, Uh, It can be harmful and detrimental. And Mm -hmm. I think having a depiction of like kind of a bad therapist who's like, and it's not everything about him that's bad, but I think it's his overall demeanor. He
1: just doesn't really believe Nell or really care about her opinions. He just wants her to take her drugs and shut up, basically. Yeah. And he even advises her to go back to Hill House. He's like, I think if you went back and like faced (laughs) it, you'd realize it's just a house. So she's like, oh, good idea. But- Yes, she goes back to Hill House, but she does try to reach out to her family before. Like she calls her siblings. She calls her dad. And like, she also kind of kind has confrontations with Theo and Steven. and like, not really a conversation confrontation, but like an episode with Luke where it feels like she's really reaching out, yes, and trying to show how, like where where she is and get help. Um, But her siblings aren't super receptive to her. Steven is just pissed that she interrupted his reading, which fair, I guess. Yeah. Um, Theo is just... Like
0: she tried to use Theo for her like touch powers Mm -hmm. and Theo's like kind of feels like violated about that. Yeah. And Luke, like, unfortunately, is a heroin addict. Yeah. And is just kind of like, that's his number one concern in that moment.
1: And in fact, uses Nell to buy one last hit before she drives him to rehab, which like is so sad because that's, you know, her twin and she's trying to open up to him and he's like, I can't, I can't talk to you right now. Like it's too much.
0: Yeah. I think the depiction of everyone kind of ignoring Nell or using her mm-hmm. is is so sad and you know, when she does begin this like downward spiral and she ends up back at Hill House. Yeah. She has visions of all her siblings and they're all apologizing to her. I know. For ignoring her <laughs> or like not helping her when she needed it. And being it.
1: like, we always believed you.
0: Yeah. Just like all these things that like she needed to hear, but like yeah. never got in real life.
1: She gets this reunion with Arthur when she's at Hill House and they're like dancing through the house together. Um, And eventually she climbs up, The metal spiral staircase sees her mom and, like, puts this necklace on herself, which we realize is a noose. Yeah. And then she kind of wakes up and she's hanging over the, like, she's about to fall. Yeah. And then her mom pushes her. Yeah.
0: Says it's time to wake up. Yeah. Then we get (laughs) the big reveal. Did you, were you, like, expecting this at all? No. No. Uh, we realize that she was the bent neck lady because her neck is snapped Yeah, in the noose. And she kind of goes through this she like... She
1: travels. Yeah, she
0: travels through all these moments in her life when she saw the bent ne- neck lady. And now she is the bent neck lady, like, yeah. looking at herself.
1: Culminating in her just dying at the end. Yes. This is not good, Ian. <laughs> I don't like this. Honestly, I think it's too much, actually. I,
0: I agree. Like, and ultimately for... Like, I, I know... Later on, the show is kind of playing with the idea of like hauntings and like time being like yeah. a factor, so that like her future self is haunting her past self. That idea, but like I don't know, it all feels like for the sake of a twist, yeah, that she was the bent neck lady. But like ultimately, it's just really, really heavy, depressing, and depressing. And I'm not
1: It doesn't feel justified to me.
0: I I kind of agree. I feel like it's a little bit tasteless. Mm -hmm. Uh I mean it's like shocking, but is it worth like that really heavy somber tone? I'd say no. Probably
1: not. (laughs) Um, we've been talking about the show for a long time because uh, there are 10 hours of it. <laughs>
0: yes, yes, quite a bit.
1: Let's go back to the book and to our little group of scientific explorers in this haunted house.
0: So they are, you know, exploring the house and then their first night mm-hmm. in the house, they get their first supernatural encounter where there is I think it might,
1: I think it might be the second night or something, but yes.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure, but, uh, there is banging on the doors of the hallway.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I really love it. Cause when it happens and, and Theodore has a connecting room to, uh, Eleanor's. Eleanor's and so they end up in the same room, mm-hmm. like what's going on. And when the banging comes on their door, I love Eleanor describes, it's like really high up on the door, yeah. like higher than neither of them could reach. Yeah implying the tall man status again
1: no no tall men no tall men in this house no tall
0: men allowed you must be this short to enter
1: yeah and i just want to take a moment and talk about eleanor and theo theodora's relationship um the two of them kind of instantly have this chemistry yeah they go on this walk together and kind of talk about having a picnic they joke about being cousins
0: yeah they kind of have this like A lot of similarities between their upbringing and their family. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they just have this like immediate bond with each other.
1: Yeah. And I think Eleanor really likes Theo's energy and like how lively and alive and like how much of a personality she has. And Eleanor feels like nothing, you know? Yeah. But like this is an opportunity to be funny and to kind of contribute to a conversation. And I think she feels like this is like an opportunity for her, whether or not she likes Theo Um, in like a lesbian way, I think is like unclear. I would say yes.
0: Yeah, I think by the end, especially, like I would say yeah. Yeah. Uh but like she regardless, I think you could just even take it as like an infatuation and still kind of be pulling the same emotions from it. Definitely. In the morning after their first like creepy encounter, Mm -hmm. which also um the the doctor or the professor and Luke had like chased like a ghost dog outside (laughs) yeah uh but like in the morning there's kind of this like almost like euphoria
1: yeah they're giddy
0: yeah they're giddy there's kind of this childlike energy Mm -hmm. among them and i i think it's like super unexpected reading this story but like interesting this like excitement they all feel from being there like they all just had this like justifiably like terrifying experience that night yeah but in the morning they're almost like enlivened by it
1: mm-hmm. it's almost like a brush with death makes them feel more alive
0: yeah and they're all like joking and like kidding with each other and and, and just kind of like yeah this this giddy energy
1: mm-hmm. and talking about the group dynamics like the four of them feel kind of in- instantly comfortable with each other And I think the circumstances of them being thrown together, being in this really weird situation, and feeling like they're maybe, like, the only people in the world, you know? Yeah. Like, it's just the four of them. And so they all kind of get along mostly really well with each other. Like you said, they're joking a lot. They're kind of being like witty and sarcastic with each other. Even the doctor who you you would expect to be kind of stuffy. Yeah. Like is really fun and goes along with it.
0: Yeah. I I really like a book that the characters talk with like a lot of um, jokiness or sarcasm. Like they walk into like the game room. Yeah. And there's like it's really dark and musty and there's pictures of like hunting animals and like dying animals on the wall and Theodore is like oh this is wonderful like I would love to spend time like this is where they went to like relax and kick back you know like there's a lot of dialogue like that that makes it fun to read I think
1: yeah and they're exploring the house and like I said it's like kind of these there's a lot of rooms where there are no windows because it's like the interior of this like circle kind of And they're going through all these rooms and they're opening all the doors and all the windows and the sashes and letting kind of some air in the house. And they explore the whole thing. And then when they come back in after going outside, everything is closed again. Yeah. And they're like, oh, did Mrs. Dudley do this? Mm -hmm. But it's implied that it's just the house. Like all the doors automatically like reshut themselves. Even like they would prop the door open Mm -hmm. with different objects. And now it's back to where it was.
0: Yes, uh, and they, they wonder if that has to do with, like, the angles of the walls being weird or the angles of the rooms is that yeah. causes the doors to shut, but it's, like, it's unclear. Also, the professor has a theory about, like, underground water currents, currents being, like, <laughs> the explanation for, like, hauntings. Yeah,
1: interesting, okay. Okay,
0: uh, sounds very vague.
1: <laughs> there is some writing discovered on a wall uh, by Luke that says...
0: Come home, Theo. No, Eleanor. Eleanor. God. Oh, my God. I just (laughs) cannot get anyone's name straight. Come home, Eleanor. Yeah. Uh, And then later on, there is more writing like that Mm -hmm. in uh, Theo's bedroom. Yeah. But it's like written in blood.
1: Mm -hmm. And Theo's clothes are all covered in in blood, too. And this is really upsetting for all of them. And then there's another incident where Eleanor and Theo kind of have this fight and end up like kind of running outside And they're kind of compelled on this path through the woods at night. And everything is like dark, but also lit up. And it's like a ghost picnic. This scene was maybe the the scene where I was the most confused about what was happening.
0: I agree. It's very trippy and weird. And you're not sure what's going on. Yeah. The one part I was found compelling, though, was Theo at one point looks because I mean, it's like a picnic and it's like weird, but not scary. But like. Theo at one point looks behind them and screams and is like, run, run. Don't look back. Don't look back. And they have to like sprint back home basically or out of this like nightmare scenario. Yeah. And it's never explained what she saw. No. But the idea that like maybe Theo sees something ominous about the house and the grounds that like Eleanor isn't like totally.
1: Aware of. Aware
0: of her feeling as well. Mm hmm.
1: Yeah, and then there's another night scene where it's a similar like pounding on the doors, and then this like whispering and laughing outside their door, <sighs> and Ellen and it's also really cold, like yeah. these waves of cold, and Eleanor is gripping Theo's hand, and it but then suddenly it's dark, and she has this really scary feeling all of a sudden that she's like, whose hand am I holding? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep.
1: And you never really find out if no. it's Theo's or if it's somebody else's hand.
0: Yeah. You know, once again like a lot of these ideas have been adopted in other haunted house stories or just horror yeah. stories and movies like since this book came out, but still reading it, it's still very effective. Like these parts are very creepy and unsettling. It
1: is. And I think it it builds it slowly and it's not afraid to kind of break the tension during the day with other scenes and to do other stuff in other parts you know it's not like just creepy 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 but I think those creepy moments really work well and feel suspenseful
0: yeah I also find it interesting because despite things like ratcheting up you never actually see ghosts no like they never see any like
1: they see this human. picnic, right? People on a picnic?
0: Yeah, but even whatever the hell was going on in that scene, like, isn't... Yeah. It's not like, oh, I saw a woman walking through the house. They yeah. were on, like, a fucking acid yeah. trip in that scene. <laughs> I don't know what was happening exactly. Um, but they never see ghosts, like, in the house or anything quite like that, uh, which is interesting because, like, hunt the the TV show uh, does a lot of that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, But the book, it's all... Loud noises. It's a lot of noises. Yeah. Um, And
1: feelings, creepy feelings. A lot of psychological stuff. And it really is about the relationships. And at this time, once it's been going on for a few days, we see the relationships between the characters actually start to deteriorate. And we're guessing that this is because of, like, the mental strain of the house Mm -hmm. and kind of the house exploiting the weaknesses in each of the characters and, like... Eleanor and Theo end up kind of fighting a lot and being at odds with each other. There's a scene where Eleanor is kind of talking with Luke and you're and then Theo confronts her later and it's like, Are is Theo jealous? Yeah. And but I think particularly between Eleanor and Theo, like it felt it felt like at the beginning they were beginning like a romance. You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: their relationship felt very strong, very yeah. intimate, like quite early on. Mm-hmm. But then like there are points when it's like extremely negative. Like yeah. Eleanor is like
1: I hate her. God,
0: I want to see her die. Like yeah. basically like really really bad. Yeah, uh, which is fascinating to see how that like swings so drastically, and it and it doesn't stay there. No. Uh, but the fact it can go there is like unsettling almost. Definitely
1: Definitely. definitely
0: let's get back to the show back to the show there's still a lot of show many
1: episodes to discuss
0: (laughs) but we have arrived at what i think is like one of the standout episodes of the show and one of the ones people talk about the most which is uh it's not even like the funeral episode but it's the family of the present day finally congregating um in the funeral home.
1: Yeah, I think the episode is called Two Storms. Because, yes. Because um, we have a thunderstorm in the present, with the lights going out and the family kind of scrambling. And then we have an intense thunder and hailstorm in the past at Hill House with the family.
0: And the really notable thing uh, about this episode is that it is shot in many long, long takes. Yeah. The whole episode isn't meant to look like one long take, but like... For quite a while for a long for long stretches, uh, it's like uninterrupted. Mm-hmm. And I really love the vibe of this in the early in the funeral home scenes. Yeah. Just kind of it feels so play like.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: everyone coming together in this scene is so fascinating to watch like suddenly all these dynamics that we've been like we've maybe seen like bits of yeah in different episodes like maybe a few characters interacting here and there but like now they're all together in this very intense situation Mm -hmm. which by the way this is a a huge uh nod to it I want to say yeah where the characters of the present in that book and movie get together and that being like a huge factor Mm -hmm. uh but like Seeing their dynamics clash, like, all these things bubbling up to the surface, like, the the discussions, and it being filmed in these long takes. I don't know, you just get a feel for, like, the pacing and, like, yeah. the the tension in the room. And this
1: is kind of, like, our main introduction to the dad, too. Yes. We haven't really seen the dad uh, that much, but I like how, in this episode, he'll, like, walk in and out of the future and past.
0: Yeah, that one shot of him when he's like looking for the bathroom and he walks into Hill Hill House is so good. And honestly, so like in terms of like the production of this show, this episode was like planned out from the beginning. Yeah. So when they built the sets for the funeral home and Hill House, they built them together. Oh, cool. From the beginning for that one shot. Wow. When he wanders from one to the other. That's so cool. So that's really awesome. Yeah. Uh, and also. Production of the show kind of had to close down for like, I want to say like a month Uh when this episode came up because they had to do a lot of rehearsals Mm. because there's such a choreography, not only between the characters And them talking and the blocking and where they move, but also with the cameraman Mm -hmm. and also with like the lighting because the lighting is constantly like behind the scenes and camera is changing. Wow. And then you have actors swapping out like in one shot when the dad first gets uh, to the funeral home. The camera's panning around him. And when he first looks at the children, they're, they're like, little. the lo- young kids. And then when it circles back around, they're adults again. Yeah. So you have people.
1: Like, well, running in Yes, and out. <laughs> yeah, like,
0: darting around. Yeah. Um, especially with, like, ghosts. Like, you have, like, Nell mm-hmm. in the coffin. But then, like, a Nell, a ghost Nell showing up. Yeah. Uh, It's just, like, this complicated dance mm-hmm. of people and, like, So the rehearsal of that between everyone involved took like a long time.
1: Yeah, I mean, it really shows the work that they put into it because it's seamless and it works so well. And I really, really love it. And I also love it because we are seeing these characters together for the first time and kind of confronting each other over stuff. A lot of things come out into the open, like Theo taking steven's money from the book yeah the fact that shirley's husband kevin also took the money um but didn't tell her and that being a factor what else do we find out
0: steve confronts uh the dad about like because he he kind of blames the dad for believing in all like the haunting yeah things and he's like nell believed that and Mm -hmm. she killed herself and like that's on you for like not trying to downplay like her fear of like the bent neck lady and Mm -hmm. the ghosts and stuff um Theo is just getting absolutely blackout drunk. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and, and Luke is, I really like his character because he's kind of just like in the background. He's like not actually engaging in a lot of this, mm-hmm. uh, but it feels true to his character. Uh, but yeah, like they're, I, I love like at points they're reminiscing about now mm-hmm. um, and like coping with what's going on. But then, you know, the, uh, a lot of this, Shit that's been buried between all of them for a long time is finally coming to the surface. Definitely. And the part where like the coffin falls over too. Mm -hmm. It's just all really well done.
1: Yeah. And we keep seeing Nell and like all the characters keep seeing Nell. Yeah. Like she's showing up next to the coffin. There's a scene where she's like kind of crawling out towards Theo and the dad, which is really creepy. (laughs) Yep.
0: Yep. Not, not good. Not good. Bad, bad, not good.
1: And in the past, we have this thunderstorm happening, and as it's happening, suddenly Nell goes missing. So everybody is out there, out in the house looking for Nell. And while the, you know, parents are looking for Nell, the mom kind of, like, goes into this trance.
0: Yeah, she has this episode where she, like, suddenly starts wandering through the house and the dad is, Hugh is trying to, like...
1: Follow her? Follow
0: her, but she keeps, like, disappearing and reappearing. Yeah. I read this was maybe the hardest scene to film in that episode. Like, this, like...
1: <laughs> Back and forth. Yeah,
0: because you had to have different stand-ins for the mom at different points disappearing and stuff. Yeah. Glass in the windows explodes. And, you know, when the mom is finally found and she's kind of like, oh, what's going on? Like, what yeah. happened? Yeah, Like, totally not aware.
1: And then they find Nell, and she says that she was standing there the whole time, but was, like, somehow... Like, no hidden one, from yeah, everyone. Yeah, no one
0: could see her. And yeah. she was like, I tried calling out to you. And this is, like, punctuated by us seeing, like, adult Nell as a ghost. Yeah. And this comparison of, like, She's I was... standing there. Yeah, she was there the whole time and, like, no one can notice her or mm-hmm. see her. And, like, that idea of being a ghost and, like, it, it it's done so well.
1: Yeah. And then we get a scene where it's implied that, like, Theo and Kevin may be, like, made out.
0: Yeah, Shirley catches them like mm-hmm. in a closet or a, a storeroom. Yeah. And it seems like there was they were holding each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's not good because Shirley was already pissed off at, at Theo. A lot. A lot. And her husband.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. And this causes like a huge rift between all of them. Um, let's talk about the dad a little bit though.
0: Yeah, in the following episode in the present, we get like the, fu- the the real funeral beginning. But this is really our our dive into the dad's character, Hugh. And we, you know, see him in the past. And I really want to say upfront, I love that past and present Hugh are played by different actors.
1: Yeah, I do too. They bring something different.
0: Yeah, and like, you know, Hugh goes through such a traumatizing experience with like the death of his wife and like Mm -hmm. losing his kids basically that like that would make you a radically different person yeah and so like each actor like you said brings something different to that character Mm -hmm. uh and it feels just like very justified because i feel like a lot of shows would just like take the same actor and put him in old age makeup yeah and then they'd be trying to do something different which
1: and i think that you're making a choice when you do that to have a more authentic experience in the past or the present. You know what I mean? And so the present feels like it's phoning it in. Whereas in this version, we have two actors really doing what they need to do in their times, in their role, in what's going on in that moment. And I really like that.
0: Yeah, it's really great.
1: Kind of as a way of coping with everything that's happened to him, we see that the present day, the older dad talks to his wife.
0: Yeah, the his wife is... We, we've gotten like a hint that he's like talking
1: to someone. Or talking to himself.
0: Yeah, uh, from the previous episode. But now we understand that he's talking to kind of this... What, you know, at first I think you're like, is this actually the wife? Is it like the ghost? But yeah, it's really he just is like, it's in my imagination. I know she's not there, but Mm -hmm. it's like a coping mechanism with like the loss he's dealt with. Yeah. And so I think that's interesting to kind of see what he would be thinking his wife is saying. Yeah. And in the past, the dad is dealing with fucking mold.
1: Yes. Somehow there is a ton of black mold in the house He's trying to do it all himself because they don't have enough money to hire people to do it. And as if that isn't enough, he ends up, you know, pulling out some bricks because he hears a scratching noise and they find a dead body in the walls. Mm hmm.
0: (laughs) Yep. Uh, They find a William Hill. Yeah. uh, A man who bricked Bricked himself. Bricked himself. Into the wall because he had like the tools the to do it. And like no one ever knew what had happened to him. So that's that's something. That's cool. Yeah, right? that's cool.
1: At the same time, the mom is clearly becoming more and more unhinged. And he is really concerned about her and ends up suggesting that she take a break from the house and go visit her sister, um, Janet. And we have a scene, too, with, like, Mr. Dudley kind of describing how his mom was driven insane by Hill House.
0: Yeah. I really love Mr. Dudley's, like, monologue story. It's, like, really good. A lot of
1: people have some good monologues in this show.
0: Yeah. And I think that's something that um, uh, Mike Flanagan is kind of becoming known for – Midnight Mass has a lot of them. I think yeah. some of them may be like too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think this show struck a really good balance of giving characters different monologues to work with.
1: Yeah. Let's talk about the mom, though. And like we get an episode later on that's kind of focused on her where we see her perspective and a lot of scenes we've already seen before where she's acting weird. Now we see what was going on with her during those moments
0: yeah, she's kind of becoming spacey. She's kind of losing track of time. And ultimately, she meets one of the ghosts in a dream mm-hmm. whose name is Poppy. Yeah. And we found out in the previous episode that Poppy was maybe not the most mentally balanced person. <laughs> in life. In Yeah, in, in living <laughs> conditions. Uh, but she meets her ghost. And uh, God, the actress who plays Poppy is so good yeah like the
1: fast talking yeah she's
0: kind of got this 1920s flapper fast talking kind of way but Mm -hmm. like super crazy yeah and unsettling very
1: very crazy and she kind of starts planting this idea in the mom's head that like her kids are in danger yeah and specifically the twins because they're the youngest and she talks about how you know, the world outside is actually more dangerous for the kids than anything else. And that, like, growing up and being in the world is bad for the kids. And, like, wouldn't you want to save them from all the suffering that they'll experience later on in life? What if there's a way that you could keep them young forever? What yeah. What if there's a way if you could protect their innocence? And she's showing her two visions of adult Nell and Luke. Adult Nell being dead. And then, like, adult Luke dying of an overdose.
0: Yes. And so this is, like, super traumatizing to uh, the mother. And, like you said, begins this kind of, like, feeling of Nell and Luke specifically being unsafe. And this Mm -hmm. idea that, like, she can wake them up from this reality that, like, maybe this life is but a dream. Yeah. And that she can wake them up uh, to, like, A a better life. Yeah. Uh, so she is clearly not doing well. Uh, she gives blueprints to Hugh that are like, once again, in The Shining, the all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy moment. Yeah. Except they're blueprints and they're covered in a shape that is the footprint of another home she designed that was supposed to be their forever home. Mm -hmm. So basically being like, this house is our forever home now.
1: Yeah. Uh, Hugh, the dad, wakes up one night to the mom straddling him, not in a sexy way, though, because she has a (laughs) screwdriver to his neck.
0: His reaction in this scene is like the most authentic I've ever seen. I know. He's like, "What the fuck?"
1: <laughs> she's like, "You were holding a screwdriver and to my she's neck." She's like, "No, I wasn't." <laughs> and he's like, "Yes, you fucking were."
0: <laughs> she's like, "I was having such a bad dream," and he's like, "You think?" Like, you, I, I don't. So his reaction is just like so genuine. I know. I, I love it. Uh, but <laughs> he convinces her that she needs to get out of the house. She needs to go visit her sister. Mm-hmm. And and
1: she agrees. Yep. Except, and then she doesn't fucking do it. No,
0: she doesn't go. <laughs> she comes back, like, the next night. Mm-hmm. And... That night, I think. Yeah, no, it is... No, because she calls the next morning, and they're, like, having breakfast, Oh, I thought I it think. was dinner. Maybe it was dinner. Mm. Either way, it's a short time. <laughs> yeah. She comes back, and... She's, like, in the house at night, and Shirley actually wakes up and sees her, Mm -hmm. and she gets a tea party together yes, for Nell and Luke, Mm -hmm. full of rat poison.
1: Yeah. She goes into their room, and uh, Abigail is there.
0: The Abigail that is actually very, very real.
1: Luke's imaginary friend, who's actually a real girl, uh, they all go upstairs to the Red Room, which is a room that has been locked this whole time. Yes. and. I just want to say, like, really briefly, I think the concept of a red room is very interesting. Mm-hmm. It's appeared a lot in popular fiction and stories. Anyone who's read Jane Eyre knows that the red room is the situation where Jane experiences, like, a kind of like a psychological horror ghost manifestation. Mm. And then we also have, like, the red room in the Marvel comics. Yeah which is this room of like transformation, very sinister, um maybe like supernatural elements in there.
0: It just sounds ominous, the red room.
1: Yeah, and it's it's appeared in other stories too. And then <laughs> 50 shades of gray uses it as the <laughs> sex room. So
0: Yeah, it it <laughs> it does keep popping up in different uh contexts
1: different movies
0: and stories like over time Mm -hmm. I have to take a moment to address the Abigail thing though yeah I just don't think this twist reveal holds up really well okay so it's revealed later that Abigail is um the daughter of Mr. and Mrs. Dudley the groundskeepers right Yeah, yeah okay so um first of all Luke has told the parents, my friend, imaginary friend, Abigail. Yeah. Abigail, Abigail. Like, and they don't believe him. Yeah. And we know that the parents have talked to the Dudleys. Yeah. And that the Dudleys have a kid. So yeah. at no point did the Dudleys say, our daughter, Abigail. Like, but they, they
1: say that they have a daughter.
0: Yeah. But, like, they never name her. Uh-huh. Like really the whole time you've talked like they've never named like said what their daughter's name was yeah even if they didn't like you might assume Mm -hmm. also you have to like jump over the fact that like no one has ever seen this girl but luke yeah for some reason like even though they weren't like really trying to hide it um also that implies that like abigail is just being left at home For, like, hours and hours every day. (laughs) Yeah. Like, by herself. Like, while the parents are, like, working at Hill House. Yeah. And, like, she doesn't have a sitter or anything. Because later on, the the Dudleys also mention, like...
1: No one knows about her. No one knows
0: about her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because we kept her, like, hidden from the world. Yeah. So, like, Abigail is just living in a house in the woods (laughs) by herself for, like, hours. And I don't know. I just, like, the more you think about it, the more you're, like... I don't think any of this is really...
1: Well, you know why she exists though, right? To drink this Cup of poison tea. Oh, yeah. And die. Like plot wise. Yeah. I
0: totally see. And I mean, where it ends up going with like the Dudleys and like Mm -hmm. her being in the house and stuff. Like, I think that's interesting. Yeah. I just think the twist of her being a real girl. Yeah. I think was solely for like a surprise factor. I agree. And I think it just raises too many questions.
1: I mean, even when we see her in the room. I still wasn't – I still didn't think she was real.
0: No, because, like, obviously there's, like, tons of ghosts and shit.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I still (laughs) – even when she drank the tea, I'm like, wait a minute. Well,
1: she can't die because she's a ghost. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I know. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Like, I I don't know. I just – kind of almost like the bent neck lady thing. It's like a twist for the sake of a twist, but I don't really – in this case, I think, like – Logic doesn't quite support it fully.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with you with that, I think. Um, The dad arrives in time to save uh, Nell and Luke from drinking the tea, but not Abigail. Abigail drinks it and dies. Um, And the dad kind of slams the mom against the wall, and she's unconscious for a bit. Probably
0: justified.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and then he gathers up all the kids. This is when he's taking them all into the car, and they're leaving.
0: I also love in this scene that, like, He's finally seeing like the ghosts. Yeah. Like all of them. Unfiltered. Like yeah. <laughs> just straight up the ghosts in the house. Mm-hmm. Uh so it's this like really scary, terrifying moment of him rushing everyone out. And we know that um after he drops him off the hotel, he goes back to the house. Yeah. And it's kind of the police in a different scene say, like, what were you doing in that three hours you went back to the house? Because yeah. it's like not clear what he did or what happened. And that's kind of a mystery save for like the very end of the show. Mm -hmm.
1: We find out though, that after he takes the kids, the mom kills herself.
0: Yes. And she wants to wake up from this dream Mm -hmm. and Poppy's there and is like, why don't you just jump? And
1: yeah. And she's standing on the the spiral staircase just like Nell was. And it's, it looks like Poppy's reaching out to push her, but the mom kind of lets herself fall. Yeah.
0: It, it it's very sad, very unsettling. And this whole uh, spiral staircase room is pulled from the book. This is yeah. another one of those aspects that's pulled right from the book, mm-hmm. even though it serves a totally different function in the story. Yeah. Uh, but it is interesting.
1: Should we go back to the book?
0: So in the story or in the book, at this point, we get the arrival of Mrs. Montague, <laughs> Mr. Montague's wife. Yeah. And her
1: Friend? Friend?
0: Arthur? Arthur, who they are definitely fucking. Oh
1: my God, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is so funny because she is so annoying.
0: She's so obnoxious. And
1: you realize how miserable uh, Dr. Montague must be (laughs) and that this time at Hill House, even though it's been like really creepy, has maybe been like a nice vacation for him away from her. She's constantly just talking and every time... Like, Dr. Montague tries to say something. She's like, excuse me, I'm talking.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And Arthur is, like, a friend who helps her with, like... So, Mrs. Montague is also involved in...
1: Paranormal investigations.
0: Except she's all about the planchette. Like, the part of a Ouija board that you move around. Except I guess they put a pencil in it. Yeah, to write. To write with. Uh, And so she's all about, like... Sending out good vibes to the spirits and like connecting with them in like Mm -hmm. a good way. And it's like not that what Dr. Montague is doing is super scientific, but she's like way less scientific than that.
1: Oh, yeah. And she like has all these ideas and she keeps telling them that they're all doing it wrong. And like she's just a really abrasive presence (laughs) and they're all kind of really annoyed with her. She insists on being put in the most haunted room. So they're like, "Okay, well, the nursery has this like really weird cold spot, and also some really upsetting figures and paintings on the walls. You can go in there." Yes. And like the doctor kind of knows that that night something is going to happen. And so when everybody goes to bed, he's actually like, "Everybody come into one room together." Yeah. Except my wife and Arthur, (laughs) and we'll be be all together.
0: (laughs) I do also like how kind of annoying Arthur is. He's like very much about being like a manly man. Yeah. And is just also annoying.
1: He keeps interrupting. Mr. Monty was just trying to like write down his research yes. and Arthur cannot like sit in silence he Cannot not shut the fuck up. Yeah.
0: And I also like he'll keep like reiterating or talking to Theo like separately <laughs> Like, he's, I don't know, like, trying to hit on her or, like, get in her good graces. He'll keep kind of, like, in a group setting, turning to her separately and And being being like, hey. Yeah, hey, I anyway, I don't think that at all, but, like.
1: So, they have this kind of pivotal night, and they're all in the same room, and they know something's going to happen. And it kind of starts off like it did before, the pounding and the noises and the cold and the laughing. And then it gets kind of weird because Eleanor feels like the whole house is, like, shaking and like turning
0: yeah and
1: like the space spatial stuff is happening like she feels like she's falling the house is falling And i just want to read a portion of the book here because this is where i think eleanor reaches her breaking point Mm -hmm. so eleanor feels like everyone in the room even though they're close to each other is like far away from her just to set this up so eleanor could hear and see him far away in the distant room where he and theodora and the doctor still waited In the churning darkness where she fell endlessly, nothing was real except her own hands white around the bedpost. She could see them, very small, and see them tighten when the bed rocked and the wall leaned forward and the door turned sideways far away. Somewhere there was a great shaking crash, as some huge thing came headlong. It must be the tower, Eleanor thought, and I supposed it would stand for years. We are lost, lost. The house is destroying itself. She heard the laughter all over all, coming thin and lunatic, rising in its little crazy tune, and thought, no, it is over for me. It is too much, she thought. I will relinquish my possession of this self of mine, abdicate, give over willingly what I never wanted at all. Whatever it wants of me, it can have. Mm. And this is the moment, I think, when Eleanor becomes possessed by the house. Yeah. Or at least she goes Insane to the level that she feels like she is the
0: house. Yeah, she talks a lot about like sensing things in the house, like yeah. to a hyper aware like she, like
1: she is the house. Yeah,
0: like it's a part of her. Yeah. Similarly, there's this interesting thing going on where she seems to be coming. At points, I wondered, like, is she becoming a ghost? Yeah. Because people seem to stop acknowledging her at different intervals in the story. Mm -hmm. Like at one point she is going down to the brook with Theo and Luke. Yeah. And she ends up, walking away from Theo and Luke and like turns around and they're gone. Mm -hmm. And she goes back and they're like, oh, we just decided to hang out here. We thought we told you or we thought you heard us call. Yeah. And there's also this interesting thing with, and like at other points she's like sitting with Theo and Luke and they're just having a conversation totally by themselves Mm -hmm. or she'll hear like Dr. Montague talking about everyone in the house and he mentions everyone but her. Yeah. And there's this also thing going on with like Theo where Theo's clothes were ruined with the blood. So Eleanor is giving her clothes for her to wear. Yeah. And then there's a part where Mrs. Montague confuses Theo and Eleanor. Like she thought yeah. Theo was Eleanor. Mm-hmm. And later on, Theo is jokingly saying that she's Eleanor.
1: Yeah.
0: And Eleanor's being ignored at this point. And mm-hmm. she's like, I am Eleanor or whatever. But like you do get this feeling that like, Theo is becoming her or that she is kind of, like, being erased Mm -hmm. from the house and from the presence of everyone else. She's kind of, like...
1: Being absorbed.
0: Yes. And, like, at a point, they do acknowledge her again. It's not, like, something that, like, lasts. But for quite a stretch of time, I was wondering, I'm like, is she like invisible to them? Have they like forgotten she exists? Yeah. It made me think of the Nell part of the the, the TV show. Yes. Where she's like, I was standing right here and you couldn't see me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's just like very interesting. And you're kind of wondering like what's happening the whole time.
1: Yeah. And Eleanor is very quickly unraveling here. And we have this episode at night where she decides to get up and she's clearly like going insane because she starts like dancing downstairs she decides to run up and down the hallway and pound on everyone's door and she's like laughing it's almost like she's reenacting the hauntings yeah um and the vehicle for the house maybe and in her mind she uses the words we
0: Mm. she's saying like
1: we tricked them so easily that's
0: right yes
1: so you know it feels like she is in Cahoots with like the spirits of the house or the house itself. And like she ends up running up this metal spiral staircase. Mm -hmm. And there's this trapdoor that leads to the tower. And she's trying to get into the tower and she can't. And the whole group finds her and they're like, Eleanor. And she kind of like slowly comes to and realizes that the spiral staircase is like coming away from the wall. Like it is not stable, it is like falling basically at any moment
0: <laughs> yes uh luke who it was implied earlier that he was kind of cowardly yeah actually is the one to go up the staircase and kind of like guide her back down yeah even though the whole time he's joking about pushing her
1: down. <laughs> he's like oh my god i hate you so much <laughs>
0: <laughs> um but they get her back down and everyone's safe and everything and the next morning they were like you got to fucking go. Yeah.
1: They're like, this house is affecting you too much. You can't stay here anymore. And Eleanor is just like, oh, I can't go. Yeah. I live here now. Yeah. <laughs> and earlier in the book, she was telling Theo, oh, I want to come home with you.
0: Yeah. And it, it's really sad. Yeah. Because like she clearly has a connection with Theo. Mm-hmm. But Theo is like, you can't come home with me. Yeah. Which is really sad, because it's just emphasizing Eleanor's like loneliness, I think.
1: And the fact that she has no home. And and the writing on the wall saying, come home, Eleanor. You know? Mm-hmm. And this idea that she, since her mother died, she has nowhere to go. She has no purpose. And she reveals to them, they're all like, go back to that apartment you keep talking about. And she's like, I don't have one. I sleep in my sister's room on a cot on the floor. Like, I have nothing this is my home now. Hill House is mine. Like, I belong here.
0: Yeah. They basically have to, like, wrestle her into the car.
1: <laughs> but they're like, we can't drive you. You have to drive yourself. Yeah, I, I do not understand. Dr. This.
0: Montague is like, no. It no, has to be her. It has to be her alone. And she's like, all right. And then she gets, like, she starts leaving yeah. and she gets part way down the driveway and she's like, I know what I'll do. And she speeds the car up and she drives straight into a tree.
1: Yeah. She has a moment before she does it where she's like, wait, why am I doing this? <laughs> and then I guess she dies. Which It's is, not clear, though. Oh God.
0: Yeah. Like that moment of like clarity before it mm-hmm. happens is like really sad and unsettling. Honestly, like it's kind of it's darkly funny, but like yeah. more than anything, it's just kind of like sad. And we get, like, a closing line about, like, what everyone else does after the Hill House thing. Which one uh, is, once again, interesting tying that back to, like, does she exist or not? Yeah. Because, like, it just kind of, like, wraps up everyone else's story. Mm-hmm. Like, you can obviously imply that she just died that day. But
1: they don't mention her. No, they what don't. Or what the other characters thought about her dying. No. And the lines from the beginning repeating at the end kind of implying that nothing has changed at Hill House. Yeah. It's really very sad. And I I just want to read those lines. I'm going to read the first lines of the book, which are repeated at the end. No live organism can continue for long to exist sanely under conditions of absolute reality. Even larks and katydids are supposed by some to dream. Hill house, not sane, stood by itself against its hills, holding darkness within. It had stood so for 80 years and might stand for 80 more. Within, walls continued upright, bricks met floor, bricks met neatly, floors were firm, and doors were sensibly shut. Silence lay steadily against the wood and stone of Hill House, and whatever walked there walked alone. So that's the end of the book kind of storyline.
0: Yeah, it's very iconic, those lines, and I really like it repeating at the end, like you said, kind of establishing that like, just life keeps going and like Mm -hmm. nothing really happened with hill house and nothing changed yeah very interesting though it's the horror of it was very ambiguous like even though a lot of these tropes of the haunting of like loud banging and like talking Mm -hmm. and stuff and cold like a lot of those are pretty commonplace now but i found its lack of i mean it does escalate through eleanor yeah but like Is that the house working through Eleanor or her just, like, losing sanity? Yeah. uh, Is very unclear. And I found that, like, ambiguous escalation of the plot line to be very interesting. Yeah. Very unsettling.
1: It is unsettling. Let's finish with the show.
0: Let's go back to the show. Uh, Luke (laughs) has left. (laughs) He's gone rogue. He's gone rogue. He's bought gasoline and everyone figures out he's on his way to burn downhill house which i agree luke i solidly agree there's actually a line which is so funny because in the book in the book the character luke <laughs> gives a line about how it's surprisingly difficult to burn down a house <laughs> <laughs> which luke in the show quickly finds out after yeah. dumping gasoline on the house and just like the gasoline just burns up immediately and nothing happens yeah Which is very good. But everyone, uh, Steve and his dad, are in one car and are driving to try to stop him. They have a really good scene together where the dad is kind of like, you've seen ghosts, you idiot. Like, you wrote about them in your book. You just don't know that you did. Mm -hmm. And he talks about, like, the clock repairman. With the candlebar mustache that's dressed like Mario. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wasn't real. Yeah. Which I, I really did like that part. The tree house. The tree house. He's like, no, we didn't build you. There was no tree house.
1: Yeah. He's like, we were only there for however many weeks. Like I didn't have time. I was fixing up the house. When would I have had time to build this tree house? Yeah.
0: And like you can just see it dawning on Luke. Or I'm on <laughs> Steve. I I'm gonna get this right sometime. <laughs> uh you see this information like you know he—he's not totally on board yet, but like you can see the, the lights starting to come on about like maybe he is experiencing something supernatural.
1: Yeah, and meanwhile we have Shirley and Theo together driving towards the house, and they're arguing and fighting, and then we have this really creepy, like scary shock scene, uh, where Nell's in the car with them and just screams. <laughs> Oh, my God.
0: It's it's kind of, I think, the notorious jump scare from <laughs> yeah. this show. It's very effective, mm-hmm. very scary. But they pull over and Theo finally gets to tell Shirley what really happened with yeah. her and her husband. And like, I, I really loved this. She talks about, you know, we got a scene in Theo's episode where she touched Nell's body and began to scream Mm -hmm. and you assume she saw something about her death or something like that yeah but she tells Shirley she's like I felt nothing yeah and this nothingness like spread over her and she couldn't feel anything the way she used to Mm -hmm. like in terms of her like extrasensory Feelings of emotions. But I also think like.
1: Just within herself. Within mm-hmm.
0: herself too. And this kind of being metaphorical for like the numbness people can feel mm-hmm. with death.
1: Yeah. And she described reaching out for Kevin, not necessarily wanting to do anything with him, but just like reaching out to him and him specifically grabbing her arms and like holding her back. Yeah. And being like, no. And this scene is kind of like a reconciliation between them. Uh I love, though, that, like, they don't have, like, a big hugging scene. They kind of just both get back in the car. Yeah,
0: Shirley just helps Theo Mm -hmm. up off the ground, and they get back in. Yeah. But so the dad and Steve get to Hill House, and we get some creepy ghost scenes. We get the tall man back. Steve is just like,
1: oh, no. Oh,
0: shit. (laughs) And I really love, I don't know, the dad being like, because the dad's been so kind of vacant or aloof or like mm-hmm. something not quite there with him the whole series but now he's like
1: taking charge, taking
0: charge and kind of more aware and mm-hmm. is like you know taking action in this moment trying to guide steve through this yeah. house
1: steve gets taken though into the red room
0: yes and this part is so good because that is the very end of the episode mm-hmm. and the next episode begins or maybe that's the very beginning before the credits. I forget. Yeah. But later it kind of cuts to Steve and he is back home with his pregnant wife and he's writing about their experiences that night.
1: It's the sequel to his famous Hill House book. And he's just typing it up and he's like, oh, I don't know what happens next for some reason. And the
0: wife is like, well, you know, you'll figure it out, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, I I don't don't, remember. I don't remember (laughs) what happened. He's like, I don't remember how I... Got back home. Yeah. I don't remember. And like, this is the moment where you're like, oh my God. He's still
1: in the red room. He's still
0: in the, it's so well done.
1: Lee turns super creepy. Oh
0: my God. She gives him the best speech, I think, in the whole show. Yeah. Where she's like.
1: Of course you don't remember it. You haven't like written it out or written it down and like shit it out or something. Yes.
0: She's like, you're an eater, Steve. Like you eat other people's. Emotions and lives, and you shit them back out into bad prose on paper where you can experience like just a half fake version of it that only then you can absorb and like understand and feel anything for. Uh, But you just eat things and shit them back out. Like she
1: just. (laughs) It's really great. Um, And Nell kind of appears and pulls him out.
0: Yeah. And
1: when he's pulled out, he sees that they're all in the red room together. And Luke is experiencing some kind of overdose and might be dying. So I, he, he goes over to help him.
0: Yeah, I think he injected himself with a rat poison, okay. I'm guessing, because yeah. the bottle is still there. Mm-hmm. Um, but so he tries... To- Starting to give Luke CPR and then we get into Luke's head Mm -hmm. and it is the day that Joey ran away when he tried to find her. Yeah. And this time, though, she comes back for him.
1: They go to a hotel and then she shoots up and he's like, I don't want to do that. And then looks down and sees that there's uh, the needle in his own arm.
0: I really love the speech she gives him about being clean. Yeah. She's like, but you're not really clean because you have an appointment with this needle. Yeah. Like, it's always going to be there waiting for you and the mm-hmm. next time you, like, shoot up. Like, basically just being, like, your sobriety is only limited. Temporary. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really good, creepy scene with her. We
1: have a part two with Luke where he's in the red room, but it's, like, white. And we kind of get this version of him being possibly, like, maybe kind of dead. Yes. And little Nell is there, Abigail's there, and so is the mom. And it's kind of, like... The idea that the mom is trying to finish the tea party.
0: Yes, because both Abigail, her and Nell are all dead now.
1: Yeah. And And they're trying to get Luke to stay with them. And Nell is telling him to go.
0: Yeah, it's a really emotional scene. Uh, Luke, the actor who plays him, does like such a good job with it. Yeah. Like being emotional, seeing his mom and Nell again, but like knowing that he like, you know, can't stay there and he kind of like comes back to life when yeah. he decides to go, and
1: Nell helps him out. And Nell also helps Shirley and Theo through um, what they're experiencing. Theo's is kind of not that interesting.
0: No, um, yeah, it's 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 fine. I like the little speech that her potential girlfriend, girlfriend gives, yeah. but like it's fine.
1: Uh, Shirley is reliving a mistake that she made when she was at a mortuary convention. <laughs> And she had sex with this guy, like a one night stand and never told her husband. And I love this for her character because she was so tough on Theo and Kevin when nothing happened between them because of what she did.
0: Yes. And just understanding that guilt and like her high, like the high horse that she's on because like, yeah, she's probably like really hard on herself for what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I love the scene of. You know, because in that recreation, she turns him down. Yeah. But then he's like, but you didn't say that, did you? Mm-hmm. And then we get the part where it's like a scene of her funeral. Yeah. And the funeral director who guided her as a child <laughs> is there again. But yeah. this time he as he's like talking to her, he's like, Yes, we uh, drained her of all her blood, filled her with chemicals. Mm -hmm. Uh, Stopped
1: up all her holes. Yes,
0: we, yes, (laughs) stopped up her holes. We sewed her mouth shut so she can't scream. Yeah. Uh, We pickled and painted her. (laughs) and Like, just this, like, really dark, twisted version of what she does. Mm -hmm. It, It was just a good speech, but Nell helps her out, too.
1: Yeah, and then they finally are all awake in the Red Room together, and Nell is there. And Nell kind of... Has this moment of saying goodbye to them. Yeah. And, you know, saying, like, it's not your fault and I'm still with you. And it does feel like her spirit is more at peace now because before she was like haunting them. Yes. And this is a Nell that feels more like she's helping them and she's kind of at peace here. And then we also get a scene with the dad confronting the ghost of the mom. And the mom kind of being really angry that he took the kids away from her. Yeah. And that he left her and that this whole time she's been alone.
0: It's a really great scene because like... Even though the kids are all awake now, they're still locked in the red room. And basically only the ghost of the mother can let them out. And so the dad is trying to... So it's this argument, but it's like for the fate of the kids, basically. Mm -hmm. And I really like it's just kind of a discussion on being a parent. Yeah. Like the mom is like, you know, nothing bad can happen to them while they're in there. And he's like, yeah, but nothing good can either.
1: Yeah. And this idea that you can't save people from pain and that like they're going to die either way. Yeah. You know, they die if you put them out in the world, they die if you shelter them. Like it's just you can't protect your kids from everything. All you can do is is your best and yeah, you might have to watch them suffer, but that's just part of life. Also, we forgot to mention but like the red room being a different room for everybody. <laughs> yeah. I like I really liked that. And the the image that's um talked about for this room is that it's the heart of the house, but also the stomach. Yes. And that it wore a different attractive face for each of them so that it could slowly devour them.
0: Yeah. It was the treehouse for Luke. It was the game room. And on a re- it's really satisfying on a rewatch because yeah. there's so many allusions to this. It's like, like the
1: same Yeah.
0: Look. Like... Steve says he's going to go get Luke in the treehouse. And the mom is like, oh, you jokester. She says something like that. Yeah. Or like the mom is like, I'm going to the reading room. And, and they're they, like, and, where's and, that? Yeah. And Luke's like, what room is that? But they kind of <laughs> like gloss over it. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. anytime one of those rooms is mentioned, it's kind of just like, what? Yeah. Or like, I, you know, there's too many rooms in this house. So that was kind of a fun. I liked that reveal. Me too. Um, oh, quite a bit. But the dad, I think, finally convinces the mom To open the door. And he
1: says he won't leave her.
0: Yes. Uh, The door is open. The dad is there. And he's like, we got to get Luke out and get get him to a hospital. Yeah. He helps Luke get down to the car and everyone but Steve and the dad drive away.
1: Yeah. And the dad's like, I have one final thing to show you, Stephen. And we see the whole Abigail situation Mm -hmm. and him finding the mom dead The Dudleys coming in and them realizing that this is their daughter and that she's dead. And the Dudleys ask him to keep the house because they want to come back and visit their ghost daughter.
0: (laughs) Yes. And the dad reluctantly agrees uh, that, like, he'll board up the house. Basically, he'll keep the Dudleys on, um, but he won't, like, burn the house down like he wanted to. And he tells Steve that, like, this responsibility is on him now too like this promise yeah because
1: the mom killed abigail
0: <laughs> yes yes and they were,
1: are partially responsible
0: but also the dad is dead yeah uh that you know his promise to the his wife that he would stay mm-hmm. uh he took his own like heart medication i think and, and you Overdosed. know, and died yeah um to stay with her and steve gets like a final goodbye moment with mm-hmm. the mom, the dad, and Nell yeah. as they kind of, like, walk through the red room door. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I don't know how I feel about this. We get, So we kind of get, like, an epilogue where everybody's doing better yes. and everything. But, like, the whole idea suddenly that this is a place of peace now mm-hmm. for the spirits, whereas before it was a place of, like, unrest and terror.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, it is kind of interesting but I'm like, what changed
0: it? Well, I don't necessarily think anything changed it because, I mean, so much of the haunting and ghost experiences that they encounter, a lot of times it's not like anything malicious, yeah, that's like attacking them, like the tall man, right? The tall man just wandered around the house and, like, did his own thing, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it was just him kind of... What kinda... about that
1: creature or that guy in the basement crawling towards Luke and, he... like, ripped his shirt and Yes, everything.
0: but that was William, and William was, like, mentally, crazy. like, crazy. And same with Poppy. Mm-hmm. So, like, as they were in life, I think in death, they're kind of, like, yeah. messed up, too. Um, yeah, I mean, it is kind of a question of, like... I, I I think the house is obviously kind of, like, just a larger metaphor for the afterlife. And I think their encounters with it are unsettling just because they are encountering death to a degree. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not so much ghosts being, like, ha-ha and, like, yeah. scaring them on purpose. But it's more just, like, they're seeing ghosts. And mm-hmm. that in and it of itself is unsettling. Yeah. But I do think the show is is super interesting just because it is, like, a... um. A meditation on death yeah where it addresses the really sad unsettling and you know kind of horrifying aspects of death and loss um but also the more hopeful parts of it the kind of parts of like the human spirit that kind of endure past it yeah and relationships and love that you know go on despite that where it's kind of like Taking both aspects in equal measure. Mm -hmm. And I feel that way about Hill House at the end. Like, it's still creepy and unsettling, but there is kind of a hopefulness tied to it as well. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's necessarily one or the other. Yeah. In my view.
1: So which one's better?
0: You know, I really liked the book. Uh, The book was, like, very different, obviously. Yeah. Very interesting. I liked a lot of what it did. But I think the show, for me anyway, was really successful. I found that like, you know, it's horror, but it's very character focused. Mm -hmm. Like I loved the setup of like the children of the past, then them coming together as adults and kind of the whole plot that, you know, unravels around that. By the end, I love like all these things that the different characters are confronting I just thought it was, like, really effective. Like, I think it's really binge-worthy just because, like, the story's very engrossing. The way it's told is engrossing. It's creepy, but (laughs) I liked it. So I I am going to go with the TV show, I think.
1: Uh, I think I'm going to go with the TV show, too. Yeah. Which, um, there are parts of it I didn't like as much. And, you know, like, episodes that I felt, like, were weaker than others. And I do think it was too long like 10 Mm. episodes. They're all like an hour, like could have been shorter, but I really did like the book too. And I think it's, it does something totally different though. Yeah. So it's really hard to compare them. And I really enjoyed the book and I would honestly recommend it to people who are looking for a very like absorbing read. Yeah. And something that really takes you into an experience. It is unsettling, but it's not like really horrifying which is good for me like that's, that's like <laughs> yeah, the level yeah. that i want and i like the psychological aspects of it um but i do agree with you that the characters are so well developed in the show and it's so fun to see them interact with each other and to see the story build Um, so despite the fact that it really scared the shit out of me, I am going to agree and say that I like the show.
0: I'm glad it was like worth it in the long run. I I hope. hope. I hope.
1: (laughs) We'll see how long. I will not watch it again, so.
0: That's fair. Yeah, whereas I do agree the show is probably like an, at least an episode longer than it needed to be. Yeah. Um, however, like I think the book could have done better for being a bit longer. Yeah, I think so too. I feel like a lot of. I like a lot of what's hinted at with the characters and kind of like parts of their story. But I think that could have been expanded on a bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny that it's kind of the the reverse problem for each. I agree. It's a show for both of us.
1: All right, let's do a very quick lightning round. Let's do a
0: quick lightning. (laughs) So first up for lightning. One thing I wanted to mention about the very end that I didn't is that Uh, in that kind of uh, montage at the end Steven does go back to his wife to like apologize and reconcile yeah however it was such a shitty apology I know or like not enough like he's like I'm sorry like I was wrong and then he's like a ghost can be many things it can be a wish it can be uh guilt it can be and I just like if I was her I would have just kicked him out of the house
1: I would have been like shut the fuck up (laughs) I'm like
0: apologize for like the vasectomy lie specifically yeah or just get out (laughs)
1: So I have to read this part from the book from Mrs. Montague because she is so funny. Well, this is after she's been consulting with planchette, as planchette. she As she refers to the Planchette, she calls it by its first name, Planchette. It's very weird. So she says, um, we've gotten a good deal of information for you, Mrs. Montague said. Now, Planchette was quite insistent about a nun. Have you learned anything about a nun, John? That's her husband. In Hill House, not likely. Planchette felt very strongly about a nun, John. Perhaps something of the sort, a dark, vague figure even, has been seen in the neighborhood, villagers terrified when staggering home late at night. (laughs) The figure of a nun is fairly common, John, if you please, I assume you are suggesting that I am mistaken, or perhaps it is your intention to point out that Planchette may be mistaken. I assure you, and you must believe Planchette, even if my word is not good enough for you, that a nun was most specifically suggested. Now I'm skipping ahead a little bit, I dare say she was walled up alive, Mrs. Montague said. The nun, I mean. They always did that, you know. You've no idea the messages I've gotten from nuns walled up alive. (laughs) There is no cause on record of any nun ever being... John, may I point out to you once more that I myself have had messages from nuns walled up alive? Do you think I am telling you a fib, John? Or do you suppose that a nun would deliberately pretend to have been walled up alive when she was not? Is it possible that I am mistaken once more, John? Certainly not, my dear. Dr. Montague sighed wearily. (laughs) The fact that she's like, do you think a nun would pretend to be walled up alive? (laughs) He's just like, yes,
0: he's just like so exhausted. She's like, they're
1: always being walled up
0: alive. (laughs) (laughs) I've had so, I've talked to so many of them.
1: I just love that part so much.
0: It's great. Uh, So fun fact about the show. um, There are a ton of hidden ghosts like, in different shots of the show. Why? I am going to post (laughs) uh, a video on our Patreon. And, like, you can, you know, search this on YouTube, too. But, like, they are just, like, in the background, in the corners, just, like, hanging out. And it's, like, shocking when you go back and you're, like... Like, at one point, I think, uh, in the last night when the dad is rushing Luke and... Nell out of the house they go down the master staircase to go out the front door and there's just like three ghosts like on either side of the staircase just standing there oh my god and you don't notice them at all (laughs) but they're everywhere wow and it's super interesting and like this was my (laughs) rewatch yeah and I didn't see them still
1: wow uh that wraps up lightning round and our episode thank you so much for tuning in for this one it was challenging but I think in the end uh hopefully worth it and I hope you all enjoy it Um, We plugged our Patreon a bit at the beginning, but you get bonus episodes and priority episode uh, recommendations, too. So if you'd like to support us, please check us out on Patreon.
0: Yes. Uh, If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, consider giving us a star rating or review. It's very helpful. If you go to CoverToCredits.com, you can find our Instagram, our Facebook, our Twitter handles like, you know, find us, follow us for, you know, updates on new episodes, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We hope you have a very spooky Halloween. Halloween, (laughs) And we'll see you next time. See
1: you next time. Bye. Bye.